Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live, uh, 101.3 KPCG, and online at kpcg.fm. Coming up on today's program, lots of headlines to take a look at. And uh, towards the end of the program, we're going to take a look at uh, 10 Steps to Being Mentally Stronger, something that's important for success, some good ideas that uh, you may want to employ to see if you can uh, improve your mental strength. That and more coming up on this edition of Trumpet Radio Live here on 101.3 KPCG. This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live, 101.3 KPCG. We are online at kpcg.fm. We have a live link at thetrumpet.com. And I'm Dwight Falk and Grant Turchin's here today. Greetings. Greetings. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, it's uh, we warmed up quite a bit here. We're in the 80s today. And um, windy, like Oklahoma is, typically uh, major fire danger. Low humidity, high winds. I was talking to someone yesterday, and they were telling me that that yesterday was uh, like extreme fire danger, and today was exceptionally extreme fire danger, and tomorrow is like epic. I'm like they had to keep upping <laughs> the verbiage, but uh, so hopefully nothing sparks up because with the high winds, sometimes gusting to fifty miles an hour, low humidity, pretty dry uh, and warm, that uh, fires can really take off, and that that can sometimes be a source of irritation for people around here not being able to light a fire pretty much any time of the year it seems like we are always on some kind of a burn ban i was actually watching this hilarious show called cajun justice and it's about the police down in louisiana dealing with people there and one of the police officers went to someone's home and he was trying to convince them to put out their fire and they wouldn't do it so he gets a fire extinguisher out of his trunk and puts the fire out for them which of course infuriated all of them and they had kind of a standoff going there but i mean it's it's understandable when you can't burn trash or whatever you're trying to do but at the same time those fires get out of control and i know people who have had fires on their property because of things like that yeah people um <laughs> do like to burn things and uh, sometimes it's helpful if if you're in an area where that's legal you can burn some brush and as long as you keep an eye on it but um <laughs> I did have somebody in my neighborhood one time uh, uh, burning things, and I think they just got a little too excited about it, and they started burning all kinds of things, including lawn chairs. It was <laughs> <laughs> plastic furniture. I thought, that doesn't seem legal. <laughs> I don't think you can burn lawn chairs. Well, that's that's the other risk of starting a fire. A lot of us can just easily get out of control with that and just start just burning whatever we feel like <laughs> well something we, we occasionally will have a fire at our place to burn some old brush or something that we need to get rid of which you can do it you know in the area we live but uh but it is interesting like you you kind of just start thinking like what else could we burn you know <laughs> and brush you know like maybe we could trim this or we could do that so because once you get it going you want to yeah wanna... it's almost like there's like an intoxicating quality to fire like you look at it and it's just like shimmering and flickering and you don't understand how fire can exist like yeah. it doesn't even make sense uh trying to 
comprehend it. I guess there is science to it, but it is still pretty remarkable to look at it. And of course, you want to see it in action. You don't just want to see it sitting there faintly flickering. You want to put things on top <laughs> yeah. of it so it can really start to roar. It is amazing when you look at like where, like say, if you got a pile of brush and you say we started with that brush and we burned it and now there's nothing. Like there's just ash. <laughs> yeah. And it just was destroyed. It's amazing. Amazing process. Uh, I always think of it as like the uh, the ancient television. <laughs> you, know, you sit there and watch it. And it's always it's always interesting. I mean, that's pretty incredible, too, if you think about it. There's a lot of things around us that if you really pause to think about how they all work, it would, be, it would take you a long time to try to figure it out. Yeah. You know, I don't know anybody that doesn't like a nice campfire on a, on a you know, appropriate day, I guess, if it's too hot, maybe not, but... There's no, I don't know anybody that says, I don't like, I don't like that. Mm -hmm. That's like the universe. The one thing we can all agree on is that we enjoy a nice, a nice warm fire. I have met a couple people who are slightly picky about not wanting to smell like smoke Mm. uh, afterward. I think all of us in a way don't want the smell to stay on us, but the fire itself is, is really enjoyable. And usually it's, it coincides with bonding moments. You get to Mm -hmm. be with family and friends and, and enjoy something that you don't get to too often. Yeah, for sure. We've got a lot of headlines to look at today, including a couple of sports notes to start. Um, Russell Westbrook, our hometown hero here in Oklahoma City, he became the first player last night to average a triple-double in multiple seasons. Two seasons back-to-back, he had at least he averaged at least 10 rebounds, 10 points, and 10 assists per game. Uh, so anytime there's a remarkable athletic feat, I always think it's worth looking at. It's just inspiring. Um, he's sort of a lightning rod for opinion on how he plays, but you can... I think everyone could agree that he plays extremely hard all the time, and that's what uh, people like to see. Uh, some people <laughs> think he pads his stats, but uh, as he pointed out, well, if everyone could go get a bunch of rebounds, why wouldn't they? So um, I, I just think he plays hard, and I, I like watching him play and give good effort. Well, there's a lot there about padding stats, because if his whole team really is trying to just box out their man so that Westbrook can go in there and grab the rebound, that says a lot about how much they respect him or fear him. Either one, uh, not just any player off the bench, could command the entire rest of the team basically to back off to let him get rebounds. I don't think he's telling them to do it, but they definitely seem to want to defer to him a lot, mm-hmm. just, just showing that he is definitely the unquestioned leader of the team. But even beyond that, he's out jumping centers regularly to get rebounds, and people don't even hardly look at that part of it if they're criticizing him about that he's out jumping guys who he should never be able to out jump and he's just really out hustling and giving more effort to get some of those rebounds I think it would be very difficult to pad your stats because you think about the amount of coordination it would take not just on your team but on both teams like okay we're gonna we're gonna box out everybody and then you'll go get the rebound I mean if you could do it that easily then then why wouldn't teams do those things, you know? Yeah, there's definitely an aspect to where, for the Thunder specifically, they like to get Westbrook to get the rebound by design because they they can get going on the other end a lot faster with the fast break. Uh, but that doesn't mean that no one else is trying to get rebounds. There was actually a, a funny point last night where the ball bounced on the ground twice in between three guys, and they, all three Thunder players were like right next to each other but they were just letting the ball bounce on the ground. And Westbrook was off like 10 feet away from them, just looking at them like, why aren't you going to grab the ball? So that that one was a little weird. It seemed like Westbrook was the only person not in on the plan to let him get all those rebounds. Hmm. Well, in any event, whether they (laughs) let him get rebounds or not, he had a good good season. And like some people uh, pointed out too, 
to do it for a whole season, you know, maybe one game you could kind of, you know, fudge it a little bit, but to do it a whole season means you played very hard. And, and like some other people pointed out too, there's lots of players that if they're going after an individual goal for the season, it's the last game. Most times they'll do it. I think LeBron James did that last night. He played a certain amount of minutes just to achieve a certain goal. And then he sat down. Yeah. So as long as it's not, uh, you know, a detriment to the team. Yeah. You should go after those individual goals, I think. And there really are only a few players in the entire league who, the rest of their team would actually work together to help them achieve a goal like that. Like you have to have a certain level of respect from your teammates for them to even care about that enough to, to try to let you do something. And if you had to like with Westbrook, if you had to say a percentage of how much of it is his effort versus how much is the team's strategy to get in the fast break, it's really like 90% just his effort. And the other 10% is part of the team's strategy to get to get out there faster on offense. So you don't see every point guard in the NBA averaging 10 rebounds every season. It's not even close. Point guards usually get like half of that maybe. So clearly he is special in his, in his field. A human dynamo, lots of energy, lots of athleticism. It was a neat uh, story last night from uh, – professional basketball uh, it was the last game of the regular season and so sometimes guys play that normally don't just to give them a chance to get out there and see what they can do and maybe they can get a contract for the next year this one is this 32 year old uh minor leaguer called up to lakers um aces his nba debut uh, they say score one for persistence uh andre ingram a graying 32 year old with fading hopes from a decade in the minor leagues made his NBA debut for the Los Angeles Lakers against the Houston Rockets in Los Angeles on Tuesday. Uh, He sank his first shot, a three-pointer, and kept making them. He hit four or five three-point attempts and was six of eight from the field overall, scoring 19 points. It was the highest total in a first game by a Lakers rookie since 1993. He's a rookie, but he's 32, which usually you're retiring at that that age, but he, he got his first shot at the at the you know the actual NBA they say the week began routinely enough for what with what Ingram thought was an exit interview for the Lakers G League team which is their minor league team instead he got a hug from Magic Johnson and word that he was being promoted to the actual Lakers Ingram's wife Marley or Marilee sorry in Richmond Virginia screamed when she got the news over the telephone the Los Angeles Times reported and then uh, she and their two daughters flew out to LA to watch the dream come true he said, I just felt electricity out there. It was amazing. The crowd, the lights, it was once in a lifetime. Uh, Ingram's played 384 games in the minors on a pult- on poultry salaries. They don't make a lot of money there. Earning side money as a math tutor, he told uh, TNT. He thanked his wife for sticking by him. The Lakers lost the game, but uh, nevertheless, he had his chance at glory. And I don't know, you know, hey, maybe, uh, maybe he'll get a chance to play next year, too. Maybe get a couple years. I don't know, but... Uh, Anyway, it's it's pretty neat. A lot of NBA stars uh, congratulated him over Twitter because he was so persistent. You know, he all these years trying to make, and he finally gets a chance, and he nails it, which is a pretty neat story. Yeah, and Brian Windhorst from ESPN pointed out how he made $19,000 the entire season in the minor leagues, which is why he's a math tutor on the side. But uh, in that game on Tuesday, he made $13,000, and then he played again on Wednesday in their last game and made another $13,000. So in two games in the NBA, he made a lot more than what he made the entire minor league season. It's amazing. There's a lot of guys that are on NBA rosters, but they don't really play. 
you know, they sit at the end of the bench, and uh, I'm sure they're helpful in practice and in other ways, and obviously they're good enough to be there, but uh, you think about how much money they make, and they really don't even play in the games, and then you get a guy like this who's doing everything he can, uh, and uh, they don't make a lot until they get up there. So it's interesting, and the same thing is true in Major League Baseball with the, the money disparity, but um, – uh, but it is it is interesting. Guys that are right on the bubble, they're almost good enough, but haven't quite made it. They do have to really think about how long do you chase this dream, you know, before you have to move on with life. And like you said, he thanked his wife for sticking with him because, you know, that's not a lot of money, and you're, you're still chasing this dream. And at 32, you'd think, oh, it's over. But uh, he kept at it. So I, I, I hope he gets uh, at least one year where he can make 13000 a game and he can pad his bank account a little bit. <laughs> well, exactly. And it's strange for someone like this not to have made it before because apparently he's just an outstanding three-point shooter. And even if he could literally do nothing else well, there should always be a use for that in the NBA. I mean, that's what the whole league is doing now. Apparently, like the Thunder shoots thirty three uh, three pointers a game, and ten years ago they were shooting eleven a game. Yeah. So it just shows you how much uh, the NBA has changed, even just in the last ten years or less. Uh, so, so to have someone who's this good at shooting, who really is a marksman, you would think that a team could use him. You and me, we can shoot threes a little bit. <laughs> uh, can't defend, but. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it just it, like we always joke about if you could just stand down in the corner the entire yeah. game, not go back on defense at all. Sure, and they just throw it down to you. I just tell them, I'd say, look, you guys are better off playing four and five with defense. I'll get in somebody's <laughs> way. I'll like trip my own guy. I'll trip and hurt someone on my own team. I'll just stay down here and shoot the shoot the three pointers <laughs> yeah, just for like five games. And that, yeah. That's like your year's earnings. Oh yeah, or more, <laughs> <laughs> a lot more. <laughs> Usually, that's, if you're making thirteen thousand dollars a game, I I don't know. I'd. You know, when you're first starting out like that, like that rookie, you probably think, like, can I get a check right after the game <laughs> just to make sure I'm going to cash it right away and not uh... – it yeah. seems like they should be big checks. Like you should get a large, like you want a game show. Or yeah, he's, he's like this. This situation is slightly more urgent for me. These other yeah. guys probably wouldn't even notice if you didn't pay them. They spend more on their outfits, and that guy's paying on, <laughs> or you know, that he's making. Uh, here's one other funny sports story. This one just cracked me up a little bit. Uh, NBA is long season. You know, it's 82 games. I think players get a little bored, especially if they're on a team that's not very good. So sometimes they do other things that are uh, interesting to entertain themselves in the crowd. And this this article says, why does the NBA's Robin Lopez keep fighting with team mascots? <laughs> so if you watch this guy on TV, which I, I'm familiar with him as a player. I didn't know that he did this, but I'm going to try to watch for this. He likes to fight the other team's mascots. Not seriously, of course. It's, it's like a put on, but still. Uh, it says, sitting in 11th place in the Eastern Division has left Bulls fans little to cheer about. So Lopez is providing a reason to root from the stands. The uh, rough housing ranges from Lopez putting wrestling holds on opposing mascots to battling them with Star Wars lightsabers <laughs> or even hitting them on the head with poster boards. But the mascots get their licks in, too. This season, the uh, Memphis Grizzlies put a kick-me sign on Lopez's back. <laughs> so he has this ongoing feud with every other team's mascot, um, <laughs> which, I don't know, as long as it doesn't distract from his abilities on the court, I think that's pretty funny. Yeah, and it's funny that he keeps doing it even when his team's not doing well. Like uh, Usually, players would get criticized for doing something like that if their team's not very successful, but in this case, it's almost like it's the exact opposite. Like People want him to do it because the season's been so bad that that's where they get their entertainment i've actually seen a lot of videos of him doing this and even like one or two where he's actually produced videos on the side of like rivalries he's had with like the atlanta hawks mascot and others where 
he like literally just beats them down right on the court or like he'll block all their half court shots during the timeouts and things like that and uh and they get really mad at him and the whole the whole crowd starts booing him and then he just starts egging on the crowd just he's just a a natural villain that's uh, that's amazing um my actually my favorite halftime show that I ever saw in person was at a Thunder game when it was the mascot Rumble. It was his birthday supposedly, and all the other mascots <laughs> right. showed up. <laughs> and I thought that was amazing. I love it when they bring out the big inflatable versions of themselves. Right. <laughs> I don't know how they control those things, but they were able to flip on their heads and yeah. like bounce around. And uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I it is it is interesting. I have been at a few games where. You know, it's it's intense enough, I guess. Both teams want to win, and then you'll see kind of a break into the action, usually at a timeout or something, and you'll see the mascots start messing with the refs. Or you know, <laughs> it's it's kind of funny to me because it's such <laughs> there is so much money on the line, and, and they they take it very seriously. But then yet you've got these kind of these clowns <laughs> out there just messing with the officials or trying to steal the ball. Or yeah, you know, so I, I find it to be somewhat entertaining. Does it ever make you wonder what you would do if you had complete anonymity? If you were hiding in a suit like that the whole time? Because like a lot of these people probably if they were seen, if their faces were seen, would not act the way that they do. They would not harass players and refs like that. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't dare. But because they're in that suit, it's like they have ten times the courage. Yeah, we actually had Rumble come out here. He was at the uh, right. Armstrong Auditorium. They've, the Thunder filmed the little thing out there a couple of years ago, so Rumble came out. and I remember that being like really... Uh, sort of secretive, like no one could see who was in the suit. Right. Like, we we weren't allowed to see who it was. So uh, that's a big secret. I suppose they change people. Well, actually, I I did hear that, and I don't know if this is the case, but our our uh, my, one of my uh, kids was in some sort of uh, I forget what it was, some sort of sports league or something, and another parent worked for the Thunder in, in like the front office. And they they said that the mascot actually came over from Seattle, like it was the same person. Hmm. So I don't know if that's true or if, if it's still the same individual. But uh, anyway, I don't know what they get paid either. <laughs> that would be interesting to find out. Well, mascots are generally pretty athletic people, hmm. like especially the ones in the NBA because they're like jumping off trampolines and doing dunks, or they're they're jumping through rings of fire and things like that, or or they're riding some kind of like motorized vehicle around on the court and so so they have to be kind of in shape and pretty capable in, in a lot of different ways so sometimes i think maybe it could be like a high school or college athlete who just didn't really keep going and just still wanted to be around the experience sort of mm-hmm. yeah i mean a lot of public appearances and and uh, so forth and so I, I could see it being kind of fun if you had the personality for it you know, if you were you were one that could get up for that type of excitement. Yeah, there's actually a kid I went to in high school who's the towel boy for the Thunder, mm. and I I see him like at on every Thunder broadcast. He's sitting right next to all the players, and he was a really good player in high school, mm-hmm. and now he's older than like half the players on the Thunder roster. But wow. ob- obviously, uh, it's pretty fun for him. I th- I think he probably has like a connection with maybe his parents or something like that to yeah. be able to sit there close and all you have to do is just give them towels and take up their warm-up suits but there are some different ways where if you're interested enough in sports you could just kind of get the up close experience without having to be an athlete mm. some guys have actually gone from that type of thing to coaching yeah which is funny and that if, uh, you, I, guess, I guess if you're persistent enough you can get there um, this is uh, uh, moving away from the sports notes <laughs> to some of the more hard-hitting headlines, but uh, the Telegraph has this uh, exclusive. They say breakup of California moves a step closer as billionaire gets enough signatures to trigger vote. I wonder if this would—I've never thought this would actually happen, 
but I kind of wonder now. It says, Tim Draper, who made his money through Hotmail and Skype, has gathered 600,000 signatures supporting the change, way above the 364,000 needed. Those who want to break up California believe it would boost educational standards and reduce the political power of Sacramento, the state's capital. Providing the state, uh, state authorities agree that the signatures are genuine, a referendum on the issue will be held this November alongside other midterm elections. And the, there's a map you can look up if you want to, where basically the state's broken down into three areas, northern um, and then uh, I guess a sort of a southern, then a coastal area. And it's got the counties listed. I won't go through all the lists of what counties would be and what. You can look that up if you're interested. But but it, it does break it into sort of that uh, um, Los Angeles, Orange County area there along the coast. There's a little sliver. Then you've got all of northern California. And then you've got kind of the southern but inland California. Those would be the three different states they're going to break into. Uh, what if they actually did this? I mean, that would be uh, that would be pretty stunning. I, I still don't think they would, but uh, they've got enough votes to at least think about it. Their signatures, rather. Yeah, and it could have a pretty huge impact on the electoral college and, and a presidential election because I think California has fifty five votes in the electoral college. So if a presidential candidate just wins California or New York, I think they both have 55, and then mm-hmm. Texas is up there with just 37, though. So New York and California just have a gigantic impact on every election. If you split California into three, though, um, a lot of the state is red, and then there's a strip along the, the very coast that is blue. So if you did s- separate that, that would be like two out of the three new states of California being Republican then. Yeah, that's probably what the big the big issue would be under everything would be the the voting and and I'm sure that's that would factor heavily into whether or not they actually <laughs> try to go ahead and do this but well, I don't know what they call them what would they call themselves would they have new names for states or were they well it looks like uh I don't know if these are the actual names but it says northern california southern california yeah. and California is that are those, are those the actual names or are they just the regions yeah, it's yeah I don't know what which is which it's just the way they're breaking it down because I yeah. think they already kind of know where the dividing lines would be so if you live in California you might uh <laughs> you might be taking note of that who knows we'll see that could that could be coming up though in a vote well that ought to give the Democratic Party cause for reflection why it when that state has been controlled by them for about 30 years why are people so furious with the way the state is going that they're trying to split the state into three it would set a dangerous precedent probably because you know what would stop other states from doing that or what would stop california from then fracturing again until you know six states or Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden you just uh you know it's kind of kind of uh too diluted i think well people have legitimately made arguments for just splitting the nation and obviously the hard part about that is probably there would be a civil war probably uh, a lot of Americans wouldn't want to split the country because, like during the original Civil War, America split in half is not a world power. It's not a fraction of what it is altogether. But at the same time, right now, the nation's so divided that you have two groups of people that simply can't coexist. It's understandable why people are trying to argue for two separate nations, and then you can just have theoretically the liberals move into one and the conservatives move into another and then just set up a border and keep them as two different nations Mm, so strange here's an interesting uh, couple of write-ups just i I think this next story really highlights just the the media um and how they try to spin stories in in their favor (laughs) or in their the favor of their ideology the new york times has a headline today 
Inside an immigrant caravan, women and children fleeing violence. So that sounds pretty nice, I guess. Um, never mind the fact that you can't just move about anywhere you want to. There's there's laws, but nevertheless, they're saying, look, it's just women and children. They're fleeing violence. And then if you go through the write-up, they really attack President Trump. And, you know, he why is he making such a big deal out of it? It's just women and children. Oh, whoopsies. Uh, Breitbart today says that Border Patrol officials told Breitbart, Texas, that the MS-13 gang member who presented himself as an unaccompanied minor and the group he traveled with were part of the Central American Migrant Caravan. Individuals from individuals from and portions of that caravan are now arriving on U.S. soil. Roughly about 600 migrants, many from Honduras, have been traveling uh, with that group. And uh, so New York Times tells you, look, it's just women and children fleeing violence. Uh, there's some MS-13 in there, too, by the way. Oh, they're telling you that they're trying to flee violence, but uh, well, and maybe they are, but <laughs> they're bringing their violence with them. Of course, MS-13 is one of the most brutal gangs that exists. And they've done terrible things in many places, including the U.S. And so you get this narrative that uh, nothing to see here. But there is a lot of danger in those groups. And, you know, I saw some of the photos even that the New York Times put up in that article. And I looked at the crowd and I'm like, well, that doesn't look like a a, a woman or a child. That looks like a pretty <laughs> strong fit, you know, 20-something-year-old man. You could start picking out different right. ones. And uh, so, but anyway, there's they've, they've uh, discovered there's some MS-13 in there. Well, even even if there weren't, this is a very public movement. This migrant caravan—it's almost like flaunting its ability to march into the U.S. because there isn't a border, and that's why President Trump is so upset about it. Uh, so it, this is like becoming more of a political movement for people on the radical left to latch onto and and start supporting, and even it seems like the Mexican government has been supporting it, and a lot of. Uh, Mexican citizens have been supporting the people through food and shelter as they make the trip up to America. Uh, so it is a lawless movement, even if it were all women and children. But the fact is that there are a lot of gang members, and it's something like 80% of the women get raped on trips like this mm. into the U.S. So if the if the radical left is so pro-women like they say, maybe they should stop the incentive for people to try to make the trip because then a lot of women would not be abused. It's a very good point. It is a, sort of a precedent they're trying to set that, well, you know, we'll just march right on in and and uh, you can't stop us. And so if that was allowed to happen, even if it was one person or two people, uh, and I know it does happen, but I mean if it was just accepted without any sort of resistance, well, then the floodgates would open. I mean, you do have to go down there. And, and try to make a stand. So anyway, we'll see how that uh, progresses. Here's an interesting headline I saw today, which I really kind of struck a chord with me. Also from Breitbart, uh, Whoopi Goldberg said that riots over uh, Mueller firing would be fun to watch. Now, he hasn't been fired, but he, they're just saying if President Trump were to fire him, they, they said on the show, I think it's called The View. I've never seen it. But uh, it's on during the workday. Yeah. Not that I would watch it anyway. But um, And so they were talking about, oh, there'd be all these riots in the streets and all that. And so this one lady, Whoopi Goldberg, says, well, that would be fun to watch. And I just thought, well, uh, first of all, no, it wouldn't. But it just shows sort of their disconnect from reality. If you have riots break out, it will affect everybody. You can't just sit there like in your, your you know, cozy mansion and say oh look at the riots isn't that fun like it will affect you as well and i just think there's a disconnect between some of these celebrities and and media people that think 
the nation as we know it can kind of go up in flames, but they'll be okay somehow. Yeah, they do seem to think that they have a bubble around them where they're invincible from all this. When in reality, uh, what better place to loot than a rich person's home or a rich area with a lot of high-level, high-quality shops and things like that? Uh, th- those would be the first targets of a riot. And this also does expose that leftist mindset of agitating you know, causing causing strife and violence whenever convenient to try to uh, advance your political aims because it would be leftists who are rioting if Robert Mueller gets fired because they would think that President Trump's trying to stop the Trump-Russia investigation. Uh, so the leftists would be rioting. The left is very violent. That's something that we've seen, even though the media doesn't tend to report on it very often. And here's someone who is a very vocal voice on the left actually encouraging it thinking that she can sit back and get her popcorn and just watch the show yeah and i thought too that just the fact that they were saying there would be riots was uh uh sort of leading i'm like well how how do you know that maybe people wouldn't care and if you look at the if you look at the numbers the latest polls show that 50 percent of america uh supports the president that's a half. I'm no math expert, but I know that's half. <laughs> and uh, But then you, you look at all these other headlines, and you'd think that it's all coming apart at the seams, that everyone's outraged. And that's actually a pretty good approval rating. It really is. <laughs> and I think uh, it's gone up a lot because it used to be like low 30s uh, for a while, at least from a lot of the polls from the mainstream media. So he's gone up close to 20 points in recent months. It just shows that the more that uh, his actions actually fall into place. The more money people start getting back in their paychecks, the more they start getting bonuses. You know, the I I got a nice child tax credit the other day, which I don't think would have been even possible uh, until more recently. And so there are some things that are setting in where people are starting to look at that and, and finally acknowledge that maybe some of these ideas do make sense and we should start judging by the results instead of, what the media is constantly telling us um, because they, they're basically throwing a tantrum on TV every day. You can't just, you can't just take someone who is emotionally out of control at their word because emotionally insecure people are going to lie a lot too. Well, it's interesting. It just, even this whole movement um, in the media, especially to impeach the president, you have to just kind of stop and say over what uh, they went after Russian collusion. Nothing's been found to my knowledge but now it's changed to, well, we don't like the way that uh, the president's handling this investigation, like he, this witch hunt, really. And so because of that, we're going to keep looking for maybe, you know, some way that he's, you know, tried to thwart the investigation. We'll get him on that. Um, and, and you said, what, do, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> Is that, what does it have to do with, like, what does it have to do with the original idea of their investigation? At this point, it doesn't have anything. It just keeps morphing into some other situation. And, you know, if you think about it personally, what if uh, somebody decided uh, (laughs) they wanted to investigate you? We're just going to investigate you and find everything we can about you. And they don't really find anything. But, you know, in the course of that, you say, hey, come on now, leave me alone. And they say, ah, you know, you're obstructing justice (laughs) or whatever. I mean, (laughs) it's just like they they keep uh, keep trying to instigate trouble and then somehow within that trouble uh, they'll find something or they can catch him on something to cause an issue and you stop and you look at even what was the beginning of this 
was Russia collusion, which, in fact, if you look at Russian collusion, you'd lean more to what the Clintons have done mm-hmm. and others. That's where you'd see the collusion. But it's not even about that anymore. And so it's just funny how people, I think, have lost sight of even what this is even about, supposedly. Well, yeah, they're, they're chasing down the trail to find any sort of wrongdoing to justify the investigation itself. And so every time they have an indictment or a conviction or whatever they call it now, it's it's something that's totally unrelated to the Trump-Russia investigation. It's something that they would have never discovered unless they had uh, opened this investigation, which really does appear to be illegitimate at this point. And, and evidence is even coming out about how Mueller is using some pretty hard-nosed tactics in negotiating with the people he's interviewing. Like Michael Flynn, I believe he actually he he threatened him with like pretty much life in prison or something like that and said now if you confess to lying then it'll only be a few months so sometimes if you're put in that situation would you not confess to lying even if you didn't lie just so that you can avoid the extremely long unfair conviction that he has the power to force on you even if you didn't do anything wrong Mm -hmm. i heard somebody say the other day that uh you know a lot of these 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 people that are coming under investigation are faint of heart. They just don't want to fight. And they, so they're just quitting or, you know, recusing themselves because they don't want to stand up and take on the fight, but it makes it look like they're guilty. Right. And so it's a, it's, it's intimidation for sure. Yeah. And, and another part of this, Whoopi Goldberg is talking about how there's going to be riots. That almost sounds like, encouragement for yeah. people to get that idea and do that we were talking about hate speech yesterday that this seems like the very dif- definition of that because if people are inspired to go out and do that if Mueller gets fired and it's because she mentioned it and they got that idea from her sh- she should be held responsible for saying something like that that's a direct incitement to violence that's where you're literally putting people's lives and property in danger uh and yet she just says it casually like it's some kind of a joke. It's not a joke because there are enough people who will take it seriously and act on it. The problem is, like you said, 50% of the country does support the president, and they happen to be the 50% with all the guns. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's not a good situation. Uh, here's, a, here's a story from The Guardian. They say, shh, Alexa might be listening. <laughs> uh, the idea seems to to be to turn Alexa that listening. Uh, <clears throat> well, it's, I shouldn't say listening device. It kind of is, but it's a personal assistant. You can ask it things. Uh, the company's virtual assistant uh, from a dutiful aid under the user's command to one with a more proactive attitude. For instance, th- and so what what they've done here is they've they've uh, they're trying to get this patent. Now the company says it's a forward looking patent. Companies do this all the time where. We're not doing this right now, but in case we do, we want to have the idea patented. So that should make you sleep well at night. <laughs> but the patent suggests that if the user mentions how much the uh, user would like to go to a restaurant while on the phone, a recommendation might be sent while the user is still engaged in the conversation. That enables the user to make a reservation at the restaurant. Other proposals include making a note if you mention you, are, you like skiing, for instance, or you hate to draw and using those to update the company's profile of you as a customer. So you've got this virtual assistant little box sort of, uh, well, what is it? It's like a tube yeah. <laughs> uh, sitting on your table listening to you. It's just going to listen to everything you say, you know, and, oh, you know, you like to go to restaurants. Okay, uh, that sounds fine. Um, is there anything you might have in your private conversations you don't want it to hear? And is it recording it? 
and is somebody else listening to it? And are they screening what you say for, say, uh, you know, certain words that ping something? I mean, come on now. Obviously, this is a disaster waiting to happen. And so the company says, well, no, 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 it's just a forward-looking patent. Uh, you know, there's pretty good indication this sort of thing happens already, <laughs> but uh, they want a patent on it. Well, they're giving some cute examples for how this technology can be used, right. and, and they're not really talking about the real ramifications. Uh, I think a while back they had a murder investigation that might have actually been solved by what Alexa uh, revealed to them. So basically, right. the, uh, the Alexa product betrayed her owner. <laughs> I think we talked about it on the show. Yeah. Uh, so you could say that's a good thing in that case. But at the same time, what if you're just simply saying things that someone like the FBI might disagree with and they decide to persecute you or prosecute you for that, make your life difficult in some way? Uh, there has been evidence that Alexa and some of these other products are leftists because I saw a video where actually um, this guy was asking different questions to Alexa to see what what her answer was going to be and he asked who was Muhammad and she goes into this detailed respectful answer about the religion of Islam and then he asks who was Jesus and she she says Jesus was a historical figure yeah that's all she said uh-huh. <laughs> so you know that it reveals a little bit of a slant there uh, it does fit in line with some of the ideology we've been hearing a lot uh, lately in the news uh so if it does have that kind of a slant you could imagine that that type of technology might disagree with someone who is saying something that could tend a little bit more religious or conservative think about that sort of a technology in russia or in china i mean all right and they they probably have it but you know you think about those nations and um especially not too long ago and it, it's getting to be more this way again but it, you know uh, you couldn't you couldn't even privately say anything against the 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 national you know rhetoric or you disappear and that's not what the united states is that's not why we have freedom of speech and but so you have to really say well is it really even constitutional you know for for people to uh really be spying i mean they're spying is what they're doing and of course it's not <laughs> that's not constitutional but you know we're supposed to have a freedom of speech here and um if if uh, people are listening to what you say and then they start they're going to sit there and evaluate it and sort of uh you know cause re- bring repercussions if they don't like what you're saying then then you are in a communist nation and isn't that where it's all kind of heading well it really is and and this is actually i've mentioned this a few times recently like another thing from today's society that reminds me of the book 1984 because that in that book there's a telescreen in every room so basically on the one hand, it's constantly broadcasting propaganda. You can't actually turn it off. It's in every room of every people, uh, every person's house in the entire country, or at least for people who are in the party and their thoughts need to be controlled. It's like CNN being in the airport. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's constantly broadcasting propaganda to keep your mind conditioned uh, to the way that the Socialist Party wants. But at the same time, it records every facial expression, every gesture, Every word you say, unless it's a like the slightest whisper, it hears all of it. And there are people constantly monitoring it to make sure that you're in line with their way of thinking. So that might have seemed unrealistic back when George Orwell wrote that in the 1940s. But 
a look at it now, you have Alexa, which seems to be pretty similar to that type of technology, and it could be used in a very similar way as well. And I think the probably the younger generation in particular that doesn't seem to care so much, uh, I, I think w- probably what they're thinking is, well, uh, but we all can agree on what the right way to think is. You know, they, they think they know. They've got the beat on it from their, you know, universities or wherever they went. And, or just, just being on the internet and being part of that social uh, uh, climate. And so I can, I can imagine them saying that. Like, yeah, but, but we all know that this is the right way to do things. Well, yeah. that sounds fine until you're in the minority. And, yeah. Uh, or the, the way things are presented or the ideas change a little bit. Uh, and, and that's where it gets to be um, very destructive. Well, we've seen that a lot in the news, too, where uh, people who are on the left prove not radical enough, and so they get attacked and torn down by people on the left who are more radical than they are. It's like it's a constant race to just go as far left as possible, and if you don't keep up, you're in trouble. Uh, So obviously there's that aspect where they could fall out of touch with the common belief and get in trouble for it, or uh, if, if the radical left has that kind of power and all of a sudden people on the right are able to take that power from them, the precedent is set. You can already use that type of technology. It's become an accepted part of life. Why wouldn't people on the right use it in the exact same way if they had that kind of power? That's human nature, to Mm want to use power as much as you possibly can. Uh, Those same young people who are totally in line with the radical left ideology right now would be terrified if their political opponents somehow got that power. Yeah. And at some point, you, you would say goodbye to free elections because it would be like a Russian election mm-hmm. where you know, 80% vote for Vladimir Putin. You know, <laughs> Of course they do because they have to. And the other 20% they fabricated because they wanted to make it look better. Or but, those people don't exist anymore. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, they voted once and that was it. But, we, I mean, we already, we're already seeing that type of thing happening with uh, the deep state. But anyway, uh, pretty interesting uh, right up there uh, from The Guardian. Uh, one other note uh, as far as the headline goes. Is uh, this is at a university, USC, University of uh, Southern California, sparks controversy with dismantle whiteness uh, mural on campus. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah, that doesn't seem like a racist thing. <laughs> a new mural calling for dismantling of whiteness has sparked controversy. <laughs> uh, the mural, part of a U- USC Visions and Voices Off the Wall series. Uh, you could say that we would we would definitely agree with that <laughs> <Yeah>. description. <laughs> uh, it's a series of multimedia installations uh, featuring the images of four women with the words "dismantle whiteness" and uh, uh, some other things. Misogyny, misogyny, yeah, mm-hmm. plastered above the college uh, fix reported. Uh, the controversial mur- mural was erected by the school's Institute for Diversity and Empowerment uh, and students from a class called Women Designing Media for Social Change. And so they define whiteness as, quote, distinct from being white. (laughs) That's a hard distinction to make. (laughs) Whiteness refers to an unmarked and unnamed place of advantage, except it's marked by being white, Uh, (laughs) privilege or domination, a lens through which white people tend to see themselves and others. Uh, What a... what a weird statement. Like, it trips over itself. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a dis- it's distinct from being white. It refers to an unmarked and unnamed place. And then they say, eh, but white people tend to see themselves this way. <laughs> so it's white people that you have a problem with. Uh, anyway, an organizing principle that shapes institutions, policies, and social relations. So 
they've got this mural out there for the college kids, and they said, uh, we understand that there may be those who disagree with the statement offered by the artist. Yes. <laughs> However, we firmly believe that civil discourse and free exchange of ideas around sensitive topics are critical to the resolution of differences. Well, that's never resolved any differences. That just stokes up uh, violence. But at the same time, I thought, well, yeah, you say that about your mural, but what if somebody else put up a mural that said something you don't like? Mm. Oh, you take it down. That's hate speech. Exactly. I mean, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, and it really the only similarity that all white people have is their skin color. I mean, that's about as far as the similarities go because you see people on every end of the ideological spectrum, politically, socially, economically. There's all different levels of wealth or lack thereof among the white race, uh, all types of different thoughts and beliefs, uh, religions, backgrounds, and whatever whatever you want to come up with, nationalities. So there is a lot of real diversity there, and yet um, apparently the left doesn't want that anymore. They always talk about diversity, but here they're trying to say that basically all white people are the same, and they automatically think of themselves as superior. They're automatically set up to succeed uh, more than any other race is. It just doesn't actually make sense when you look at real examples out there, like uh, someone like LeBron James, who has been talking a lot about social issues and saying he speaks for his race, and yet he's making tens of millions, maybe $100 million a year. Uh, that's not something that most black people could relate to. Most anyone on the planet could could never relate to that. So how does he speak for them? His everyday life is like the wealthy of any race it's not like his own race it's like the wealthy he's in a high class and the similarities there are between him and everyone else of that high class and that's really what it comes down to it's all it's always all about the money that's what makes people uh, the most similar or the most different from each other not their race yeah it's uh it's about the color green exactly <laughs> in a lot of ways as to where where you where you, where you go and what you can do and those types of things but it's very dangerous I, i'm just um you know it's it's been said or those uh expressions you know uh dismantling whiteness and things like that it's, it's been out there enough to where people like think you're getting used to it but how dangerous it is just so dangerous to get into that and uh it's certainly not biblical god doesn't say anything about that he he he, he created all the races he doesn't want to dismantle any of them he wants to enhance them so that's definitely a wrong viewpoint and it wouldn't be acceptable to say about any other group no absolutely not no <laughs> no 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 i can't imagine the <clears throat> the uh the outcry there'd be there'd be just an amazing outcry if somebody changed just uh, one of the words in that little mural <clears throat> with a different color uh we got a uh, something uh hopefully a little more positive to end on here this is uh an interesting reddit from the ladders.com 10 habits of mentally strong people uh mental strength is uh tough can't just go to the gym and lift a weight with your head you have to <laughs> you have to think about things so they give 10 uh, habits here and uh, we're going to take a look at those it might be helpful uh it says uh number one you have to fight when you already feel defeated and uh they say a reporter once asked muhammad ali how many sit-ups he does every day and he responded i don't count my sit-ups i only start counting when it starts hurting when i feel pain because that's when it really matters uh, which is interesting. Uh, since the same applies to success in the workplace, you always have two choices when things begin to get tough. You can either overcome an obstacle and grow in the process or let it beat you. And uh, in uh, there's a great booklet at thetrumpet.com, How to Be an Overcomer, and in there the author, Mr. Uh, Gerald Fleury, writes about how 
uh, you know, if you're using God's spirit and, and growing like you should be, like we all should be, um, a problem is just something you're about to overcome. It's not like the end. It's just, uh, oh, I'm, a, I'm about to get over this. I'm about to conquer this. And that's that same sort of uh, thought here that, uh, you know, you might feel defeated, but keep fighting and then you can overcome that uh, obstacle. Yeah. And that quote is really everything about just a positive overcoming mindset. It's It's really about what is in your head before you even get to the point of taking an action you have to consider the victory already won and you see that in all fields all over the world people who are defeated have no chance and they could be mentally defeated that is and they they could be the most superior talent in their entire field but if they think that they are less than what they are or that they are not capable for some reason there's no way they're going to beat anyone yeah that uh same booklet the over how to be an overcomer it it uh, talks about napoleon and his uh ability to lead armies and um there was a quote in there about how the the mental or or the moral uh or morale rather is uh three to one and uh, to the physical in other words if you if you're having a positive attitude and you really feel like you have a purpose you can win three times the battles that just physical exertion would win you on its own so the mental uh state is very important and uh, fighting on even when you feel defeated. I think uh, those some of those great generals of history really had to do that. Yeah, and there is an element of urgency and desperation there in a lot of those battles where 10,000 go up against 50,000 or 300 go up against many thousands. Uh, you see those examples in history and in the Bible. And uh, if you know that you have to do it and there is no other option, there's no other option but victory or death, you're obviously going to choose victory and you're going to go for it with everything you have. Yeah, leave it all on the line. Second thing they say to uh, improve your mental strength is uh, to uh, delay gratification. People with mental strength know that results only materialize when you put in the time and forego instant gratification. We face that every single morning when the alarm goes off, <laughs> right? That's right? It would be more instantly gratifying to just not get up <laughs> but uh you have to fight through that and then put in the time and the effort and that's when you have uh the success yeah and that's a really hard one but there are ways at work even to to set up like a mini reward for yourself if you accomplish a task you can walk around the office or get a treat from the bookstore whatever your situation might be go talk to someone for a couple minutes if that's what you want to do uh who knows what your specific situation might be but if you can hold off on whatever that reward is, um, it's going to be that more that much more satisfying when you actually have accomplished something to sort of earn it. Hmm. Another point is you have to make mistakes, look like an idiot, and try again without even flinching. <laughs> and they say that very successful entrepreneurs have some things in common. They're terrible at imagining failure, and they tend not to care what other people think about them. In other words, the most successful entrepreneurs put no time or energy into stressing about their failures as they see failure as a small and necessary step in the process of reaching their goals. So that's, I mean, it's true. No matter what we try in life, we're probably going to have some mistakes on the way, but um, not worrying about it and just keeping on towards the goal. That's a really great attitude to have. Yeah. There's a popular saying, you win or you learn. You don't win or lose. You always have a lesson you can take away from losing and then you can regroup and come back even stronger and actually some of your biggest failures in life could become 
the the source of your largest successes because you learn those lessons and don't we always see examples of that too where certain people in different fields overcome the hugest obstacles just because they know what they did wrong in the past they adjust and don't make that same mistake again yeah that was i mean even that that uh, guy that played for the lakers the other night that we talked about earlier i mean for i don't know 10 years or so he's kind of floundered mm -hmm. you could really feel like kind of an idiot but now he's making thirteen thousand dollars playing a little hoops <laughs> in one night uh another point to being mentally strong this is a tough one to do but you have to keep your emotions in check they say negative emotions challenge your mental strength every step of the way. And so overcoming that negative, those negative feelings is very, very important to do. Yeah, and, and some something that helps with that is keeping a big picture focus. Also, just taking the time to look around and think about your blessings. It's easy to get caught up in uh, maybe a, a small challenge at work. I mean, if we're specifically talking about work, and yet it's so trivial compared to the blessings of family uh, a good job uh, a good life even just a beautiful day outside if you just think about the, the nice things that are all around you uh, it is a lot easier to just sort of calm down and put the challenge in the proper perspective yeah the bible makes that point too if there's anything positive good you know think on those things another point too of being strong mentally is uh, you have to make the calls you're afraid to make I don't think they mean phone calls, but maybe sometimes. <laughs> uh, they say sometimes we have to do things we don't want to do because we know they're for the best in the long run. Um, and and that, so they're talking about work, you know, in a lot of different situations where you might have to work harder or scrap a project and start over and different things like that. But you can look at this in any any uh, aspect of life. There's sometimes you just don't want to have to, you know, do the thing you know you have to do. Uh, and it's easier to be a procrastinator or try to let somebody else take care of it. But sometimes we have, we have to do it. We're the, we're the one that has to make the, make the decision or go ahead and do what we need to do. And, uh, it takes mental strength to do that. Yeah. There's a really good book called relentless. And there's this guy is like basically a performance trainer and he, he trains like some of the best NBA players in the world. And mainly it's about the mental side. And he calls people who, are consistently the ones who are relied upon. He calls those people the cleaners. They're not just the closers. They don't just come in at the end and save everyone. They're the ones who are reliable all the time. Hmm. And they're they're always cleaning up everyone else's mess. They don't just come in at the last second. They're constantly there and they're constantly doing their part to help everyone out. And and that's obviously difficult to do because it does take a lot of consistency. You have to be pretty steady, but if you just put your head down, uh, sometimes people will just notice that and they'll be thankful to have you around. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Uh, we don't have time to get to all the points here, but we'll, we'll zip through a couple more here. Uh, here's one that's really good. Uh, it says you have to be kind to people who are rude to you. <laughs> <laughs> when people treat you poorly, it's tempting to stoop to their level and return the favor. But uh, mental strength means uh, not getting into it and uh, still being kind. <laughs> That's a good one to remember when you're driving around town. Well, yeah, and, and it, even if you just think about it from the work perspective, uh, there are a lot of tangible detractors from getting into some kind of a conflict with someone. A lot of times you might have to have a meeting to resolve the issue or else you couldn't coexist or work together on a project anymore. Uh, and so it does waste a lot of time. It does waste a lot of effort a lot of resources sometimes just to try to patch up things where if you had just avoided that split second retaliation 
maybe there wouldn't have had to been any time spent on it at all. Yeah, and they make a good point about the fact that if somebody's rude, it's negative, and if you let it drag you down, then you're right in that same negative mode as opposed to as opposed to just staying positive about it. Yeah, I've found uh, pretty often that if you just say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, and you smile and nod, you can really just take whatever they say. Even if it wasn't delivered in the right way, you can think about it later and realize that usually there's some element of truth to it. People aren't just going to brutally beat you over the head for no reason, usually. Uh, so you can take some element of value from what they had to say instead of just getting offended in the moment firing back and missing out on the actual good point that they had for you yeah that's a great point uh finally to be mentally strong they say you have to be accountable for your actions no matter what you know i just even some of these points are so great just even for the social problems in this country talking about you know just not being rude to people how about if you know officer stops you don't be rude, mm. you know, even if you don't like them <laughs> or what happened. And then be accountable for your actions, you know. I was speeding. Mm-hmm. I was breaking a window. I, you know, if, if people did that, we'd have so, we'd have so, uh, uh, such a less amount of problems. But uh, people don't really apply these things. Exactly. And the, the prevailing mindset now is just to find an excuse. And it's easy to do that. If you're speeding, you could say you're keeping up with traffic. If you're breaking a window, you could say those people are rich and they they wouldn't really mind if you took an item from them that's actually an excuse that those people tend to use and but the reality is whenever something goes wrong there's always something we could have done better even if we couldn't have prevented the situation there's always something where we could improve at least for the next time it comes around yeah so really good points there i think from just uh um, habits of mentally strong people and so uh we're thinking about uh some of those a lot of them have some uh, good biblical principles there Uh, at their foundation as well. That's all the time we have for today here on uh, Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us. Make sure you listen for the Key of David program and the Trumpet Daily Radio Show. Those are all coming your way. For Grant Turgeon and myself, Dwight Falk, have a great rest of your day. We will talk to you tomorrow. Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.